Hey guys, uh, today's episode is brought to you by no one because I haven't found a sponsor yet. <laughs> but if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, let me know. Reach out. Uh, how would you do that? Not quite sure, um, but figure it out. On today's show, the Biden COVID relief plan, what's in it, a few thoughts about it, the size of it, and two lessons that Democrats have finally learned. Also, a parting shot before I leave you today. All that and more on today's episode. Let's go. Yes. Hello, one. Hello, all. Welcome to the Politics Mostly podcast. I am your host, Peter Ramirez. And folks, I am in a great mood. Now, frankly, these podcasts are better when I am in a good mood, um, but they're always good, but they're just a little extra good when I'm in a good mood. <laughs> I'm recording this outside my house in New York. It's 60 degrees. If you hear cars or trains, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm not shouting into my mic in a small dark room when it's this nice outside. (laughs) So why am I happy besides the weather? I'm happy because Democrats finally learned two lessons. More on that in a second. First, the Biden COVID relief plan. A $1.9 trillion piece of legislation You know what's interesting before we go into it? Obama's first major piece of legislation was the Recovery Act. And Biden's first major piece of legislation is the Relief Act. Now, listeners, you're smart. What does it tell you about American politics that the last two Democratic presidents came in and passed their first bills called Recovery and Relief? (laughs) To me, it tells me that Republicans generally leave a mess for us at the Oval, but hey, We do a pretty good job cleaning it up. What's in the relief plan hasn't gotten much attention? There's been a lot of Dr. Seuss talk, but not a lot about one of the biggest legislative bills in history. So let's go over it quickly. $1,400 checks to those making about $75,000 to $80,000 a year or less. The White House announced, uh, by the way, that that Biden's name will not appear on the checks. Remember when Trump sent out uh, checks and then ordered his name to uh, to appear on them, delaying them days or even weeks, according to the IRS? Which is a shame, too, because I actually wanted those checks to clear, and, you know, if Trump puts his name on it, maybe it doesn't. $350 billion to local and state governments who were impacted by the pandemic. A study. Well, look at this. I'm getting fancy. I did some research for this episode. A study by the Learning Policy Institute. Whoa found that if states didn't get this money and had to cut their budgets by 15%, about 320,000 teachers would have lost their jobs. Huh. Okay. Because, you know, states can't run deficits. The federal government can run deficits. The states can't. They have to balance their budget. $14 billion for vaccines, both purchasing them and distributing them. Uh, Trump finished 2020 with 2.1 million vaccinations total. Biden is... At that number daily 
$130 billion to reopen schools safe uh, to reopen schools safely. Republicans want kids back in school rhetorically, yet they unanimously opposed a bill to do just that. Interesting. We'll see how it plays out. Expanded unemployment insurance through September. An expanded child tax credit of up to $3,600 per child to be given out in monthly installments, which could help with daycare costs, babysitters, food, anything. It will also incentivize us to have children, which is pretty good because <laughs> we're below the um, replacement rate. The center... Oh, I'm doing so much research for these podcast guys. I hope you appreciate that. The Center on Budget and Policy Priorities <laughs> estimates that this provision alone will lift 4 million children out of poverty in the United States, having our child poverty rate. $50 billion to small businesses. That's right, small businesses. Sorry, GE. Sorry, BP. Sorry, Walmart. <laughs> Another $25 billion to small restaurants and bars, which were hit particularly hard with the pandemic, obviously. Um, this is what the bill is, right? Direct payments to working class and middle class folks, helping states that don't have to lay off teachers, vaccines, reopening schools, unemployment insurance, reducing childhood poverty, small business funds, no wealthy people tax cuts, no tax credits to Amazon. This is a meat and potatoes bill for regular people like you and me, which is why every GOP lawmaker opposed it. Okay, I want to talk about the size of the bill for a second, because most of the GOP opposition to it was about the size, not so much the individual parts, which are broadly popular. You know, like 80% of Americans wanted this thing passed. So let's talk about the size for a second. Okay. $1.9 trillion, that's the size. The Bush foreign wars in Iraq, Syria, Pakistan, and Afghanistan... Who, who, who can even point those out on a map, am I right? Have cost the U.S. taxpayer $6.4 trillion since 2001. This is according to a new analysis from the Watson Institute of International and Public Affairs at Brown University. Brown University, $6.4 trillion since 2001. Now, that's just the base cost. But because we didn't have that money lying around, that $6.4 trillion doesn't even include interest to our Chinese overloads or overlords, excuse me, for borrowing that money. So it's actually higher than 6.4 trillion, but I'm fair, let's call it 6.4 trillion. So this bill, the COVID relief plan, cuts childhood poverty in half, rescues restaurants and bars, it prevents hundreds of thousands of teacher layoffs, it provides direct payments to middle-class Americans because the schools are reopened, the vaccines get rolled out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it is worth 29% about a quarter of what it cost our neocon friends to lead us in foreign adventures in the Middle East. Two decades of bloodshed, treasure lost, the creation of ISIS, I mean, all this nonsense overseas. And this bill is worth 29% of the Iraq and Afghanistan stuff. So the question is, <laughs> is it worth 29% of the wars in the Middle East? I would say so. But let's look at the Republicans in 2017 for a quick second. 
when they passed tax cuts through the same budgetary resolution that this COVID relief bill passed through. What was the cost of that Trump tax cut? Well, Congress originally appropriated $1.3 trillion, but recent CBO and CRFB, well, hold on with me, Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, put out put the official cost of Trump's tax cut at, wait for it, $2.2 trillion, about $300 billion more than Biden's plan. So we already have a bit of a problem here, right? $1.9 trillion for families and regular people, that's too much. But $2.2 trillion for corporations, ooh, that's fine, we'll do that. So that's first off, these pearl-clutching GOP folks who talk about responsible spending are forking over more money for tax cuts than things that actually benefit people's lives, regular people's lives. Second of all, the tax cuts sucked. Hate to say it, but it really did. (laughs) It really sucked. Um, Now, well, how did it suck? What's the proof? I can quote center, left-leaning, frankly, even right-leaning think tanks that say that, you know, 84% of the tax cut went to the top 1%, this or that. But instead, I want to quote the official report by the Congressional Research Service, the CRS. This is nonpartisan, government entity, right? It works with the CBO in analyzing budgetary issues. Not only is this organization nonpartisan, but... Even if it were partisan, it was headed by a Republican during the Trump administration when they released their official findings. Let's look at this. These are quotes, by the way, quotes about the Trump tax cuts a few years ago. Quote, a relatively small, if any, first year effect on the economy. (laughs) We're off to a good start. Quote, a feedback effect of 0.3%, not 3%, 0.3% of GDP or less. What does that mean? Quickly. The feedback effect is the economic theory um, that underlines the thinking that tax cuts pay for themselves, right? It goes something like if you cut taxes for corporations, they'll use that money to generate growth, and that added growth will offset the cost of the tax cut, blah, blah, blah. So here they found that, no, this tax cut did not generate enough growth to pay for itself. 0.3% feedback effect. Uh, No bueno. Quote, the evidence does not suggest a surge in investment from abroad in 2018. End quote. Now, that was a big selling point, right? If we lower taxes, deregulate, all this foreign money's going to come in for manufacturing or whatever the hell bullshit they talked about. Quote, pre-tax profits grew faster than wages. <laughs> oh, no. Man, this, this report's brutal. I can't believe a Republican wrote this report and it got published in the Trump administration. Jesus. The inf- quote, the inflation-adjusted wage growth is smaller than overall growth in labor compensation and indicates that, quote, well, this is all, quote, ordinary workers had very little growth in wage rates. Whoa. Jeez, I mean, this is, this is a Republican report. Finally, quote, while evidence does indicate significant repurchases of shares— i.e. stock buybacks, relatively little was directed towards paying worker bonuses. <laughs> End quote. Remember, like, the, the selling point of the Trump tax cut was, like, AT&T was giving, like, $75 and an Arby's gift card to some of their workers, and that was proof that, uh, that the tax cuts were flowing to regular people? <laughs> uh, guess it didn't. 
I guess it didn't. Yeah, here's uh, here's $75 and some coupons. We're going to buy back uh, $1.4 in stocks. So there you have it. That's a, Now, that's pretty brutal. I agree. But the Trump tax cuts are actually worse, if you can believe it, because if I was quoting left or center-leaning institutions, it would have been even worse. But let's go with the Republican-led nonpartisan theory of the case. <laughs> So what does this all mean? Because that was kind of a sidetrack. What does this all mean? Well, it means if you supported the foreign wars that cost us $6.4 trillion, or if you supported the Trump tax cuts, which cost us at least $2.2 trillion, then don't come to me bitching about a $1.9 trillion bill just about the size. Don't, because I'm not going to care. And unlike foreign wars and tax cuts for the wealthy, this bill actually does something for regular people. Okay? If you're going to care about, quote, you know, federal deficits and responsible spending and personal responsibility, then care about that stuff when you're leading the country. Don't take us, don't take us to Iraq and not pay for it. Don't, don't give back corporations money so they can buy back their own stocks and, and explode the deficit. And then when we actually pass something which is smaller than both of those, and, and the impact goes to regular people like you and me, say, oh, it's too much, because I'm not going to hear it. Sorry. All right. All right. That's out of the way. At the top of the episode, I mentioned that Democrats learned two lessons. Then I said more on that later. Well, now it's later. And that's what we call a tease in the biz. <laughs> the first lesson Democrats learned is that Americans care more about getting shit done and policy than whether it was bipartisan or not, right? Let's go back down history lane and talk about 2009. In 2009, to get a few Republicans on board with the Obama Recovery Act, Democrats actually lowered the cost of the bill and reduced the bill's scope to get those votes. Some economists believe that the small, the smaller Recovery Act, albeit now bipartisan, actually delayed recovery, maybe even weakened our recovery. I'm so, so happy that they didn't shave off like vaccine distribution or anti-teacher layoff money in order to get, you know, a single token Republican on board, right? It was popular, it was good, and it will be politically beneficial to Democrats that every GOP member was on the wrong side of history. You know, Joe Manchin, the, uh, the West Virginia moderate Democrat, I mean, he's probably conservative, he's not really moderate. He did his Joe Manchin thing, right? He lowered the unemployment assistance from $400 to $300 extra, and now it expires in September instead of October. You know, he was one of eight Democrats to vote the um, uh, minimum wage increase out of it. Okay, good, great. Manchin did the Manchin thing. He gets to go out on Sunday talk shows and talk about how great and moderate he is. But this this wasn't a huge compromise. I'm happy we got it through essentially as is. The second lesson, that was the first lesson. Democrats, it's more important to get it done than to make it a worse bill and say, look, three Republicans voted for it too. Two, the second lesson they learned. Biden and Harris are starting like a multi-week marketing campaign selling the bill. Thank God someone someone got in their ear about this. I've been talking about this shit forever. Look, like 
3% of Americans are on Twitter, okay? And even a smaller percentage are on political Twitter. A lot of Americans don't even keep up with the news. So when you pass something big and sweeping and helpful, you need to go out, go do rallies, go do interviews, and talk about specifics of the plan. And relentlessly practice message discipline, Biden. <laughs> Maybe not your strong point, but try anyway. <laughs> Don't, you got to sell the plan like you would sell a product, okay? The plan. Don't assume people will just Google what's in the Biden's COVID relief plan like I did. Or that people like you, the listeners of this podcast, will listen to a political podcast explaining it. Assume people aren't interested in politics, because most of them aren't, and sell them the bill. Talk about the $1,400 checks. Talk about the child uh, tax credit. You know, talk about vaccines. Talk about state and local money to prevent teacher layoffs. So, I'm happy for the Democrats. They're learning lessons from 2009. Don't let bipartisanship get in the way of good policy and sell the shit out of your accomplishments. All right. So quickly before I go, one thing, uh, maybe I should call the segment like my parting shot or something. I got to make sure it's something unique and I'm not <laughs> stealing intellectual copyrights or whatever. So, you know, I watch a decent amount of Fox News, surprisingly, I know. Um, did you know that in the first two hours after this landmark legislation was passed, Fox News did one segment on it, a single lone segment on it. They don't want to touch it because it's popular and because every Republican opposed it. <laughs> they didn't want to touch it. And while Democrats were passing family aid, trying to reopen schools, buying vaccines, and helping regular people, Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader in the House, was reading Dr. Seuss. Democrats, I think you have your 2022 midterm message. Green Eggs and Ham by Dr. Seuss. I am Sam. I am Sam. Sam I am. That Sam I am, that Sam I am. I do not like that Sam I am. <laughs>